I mean, I've often thought about that concept where like you could have an event just for, to show people how to use their phone at that age. I mean, there's so many, and that's just a, that's a real common technology, but still people struggle with it. So if you go into this whole VR world or the metaverse world or whatever, you can carve out your whole niche in a whole new universe with a whole new array of products to a whole generation who's brand new to it. I mean, you can really, you only got to be like the old saying, if you're getting chased, you know, there's two of you and you're getting chased by a lion, you don't need to be faster than the lion. You just got to be faster than the guy next to you, you know? And I think that's that's true in this in this day and age. You just have to know 10% more. And I think it gives you a massive advantage. The Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. Get on it. We are back to Move Entrepreneur Evolved Podcast. And I'm super excited today. And the reason why is because I think I got someone kind of like myself, Mr. Lloyd. How you doing, dude? Jace, what's up? Thanks for having me on the show. Pumped to be here. I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to talk to you. Well, Lloyd Ross, you've got a ton of stuff here. And your background here is that right now you're running the Side Hustle Secret and you're co-founder of that. And I can see that you do some public speaking. You know, you've lifted some weights in your day. So I'm sure that, you know, we got a lot of stuff to unpack. Before I did, I felt like, you know what, I got to just start this off right. So I'm going to just go ahead and give myself a water martini. <laughs> There's a little cheers to you. <laughs> Pull that down and then, they, you know what, maybe we'll light a little cigar. <laughs> okay. And you should have to get my cigar. <laughs> Well, I'm going to dive right in. Um, we've got a lot of cool things that are in common, so I think we've got a lot of things to talk about. But I'm going to dive back a little bit further, and I'm going to start this podcast um, and kind of maybe get you into the mindset of, like, where did this all kind of start? And what I did is as I went back, I started to kind of see, you know, 2007, 2009, like you were, like, growing in those age days, and then all of a sudden some things started to shift. And I saw some hot rods and I saw some dreams that you wanted. Let's go back to like 2010, man. What, what was that like for you? Damn, man, you've done, uh, you must have rolled right down to the start of my Instagram to see that that stuff. I mean, that was, uh, that, yeah, what's that, 11 years ago? So um, yeah, going back then, I was actually working in the Middle East. I did, I actually did three university degrees. It's weird. Uh, it's a, I call it a misspent youth, but uh didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I got this job in the Middle East. So I'm there and I'm actually working on this, uh, the Formula One track in Abu Dhabi, which was amazing, right? Yeah. And these big theme parks and hotels and stuff. So it was great. And then I was, uh, back in 2010, I went on a, a, a ride around the Himalayas on a Royal Enfield motorcycle. And I started at that point, I guess, just to live a little bit bigger. Uh, and I was kind of itching to get out of the corporate world, I guess you could say. And was at that, that point, was that, I was, was kind of like, Maria? say again, was that you and the motorcycle Maria? Yeah. Yeah. That was my Harley, Harley off the floor of my first uh, bonus check. <laughs> I was 26, <laughs> you know, like, so yeah, I mean, I always had big dreams, but, um, you know, I just didn't really know how to get there, I guess you could say, but I was hungry, man, you know? So yeah, that's really where it all started. I, it really kicked off when I left corporate. I was like, I remember resigning. Uh, I wrote my resignation letter and just walked out of that corporate office. That was in 2012. And I haven't had a paycheck since. What's that? Nine years. And uh, that was a good feeling. And then I just jumped into entrepreneurship and it just was, it was pretty gnarly. <laughs> it's good though. What was, uh, what was the first swing? Well, when I resigned there, I had a little bit of cash saved up. So that was that gave me flexibility. And that's what I say when people say money can't buy happiness, it, well, they've never had savings when they need to resign from a job because that gave me a lot of happiness getting out of there. So then and went into real estate marketing. Actually, my I actually flew back home. My 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 old my dad, he was uh he had a marketing business and I said it was kind of changing. He wasn't online or anything. I said, look, I can probably bring some value here. So we went in, um, we redid, we rebuilt the business together. And so I was in property marketing and sales. Our our product was property, but we were doing inbound lead generation and social media marketing back then when Facebook was new. And uh, we started, you know, I started doing deals. I started going around people's houses, talking, doing deals, settling houses, getting paid. You know, that's kind of my first small business experience. Um, you know, and when you're getting paid commission, it's like, far out. I don't know what I'm going to get paid next. 
And so it turned into a wage into this lumpy sales commission that I could only make if I did these deals. And I think that was a real good baptism of fire, you know, like getting jumping right in there and getting dirty and, 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 you know, under the, under the pump, under the stress a bit, which is a good. And then I got into online business after that, that was product based. And it just, it's way better now than what it was. I think that kind of what you're saying is like, you got the taste of effort and reward. And yeah, you know, it's like, you know, that effort and reward, you're like, Oh shit. Like I can actually control this if I can get into alignment. Right. Yeah. When you, uh, when you find yourself kind of doing that, you decided to kind of jump in the marketing side. That was, uh, is it maybe 13? Would you say 2013? Yeah, I would say 2013. Yep. So Definitely. I would say, um, I'll never forget this. And I don't know where your, where your evolution of, cause you started with Facebook and things like that. But when I, when I left, I was living in Thailand at the time and I'll never forget this. I went to this gym and I was training with Thai with some guys and I walk in and, and had Facebook kind of started, this is like 2011 or so. And I'll never forget this. I walk inside and all these ties and, you know, they're the greatest people, but you know, the Thai fighters, they're just, they just all they do, man. It's just, they, they fight, they train, they sit there, they eat. And you see these computers and there's four of them, five of them see, just around this little computer. And they all are opening up their Facebook and they're just looking at each other. Like they're like, someone likes my stuff. But and you, at that moment, I went, yeah. it's done, dude, it's done, you know? <laughs> so what was, what was your position because I'm sure that at that time, that was like the trigger, right? When was the trigger, yeah. trigger for you? That well, you said, oh, shit. Like, yeah, uh, like I see something someone else doesn't. Yeah. Well, what happened was I fell into network marketing accidentally. And um, that taught me it had all these marketers selling these products and stuff. And they were on the on the coalface of the best marketing. And they're all doing an organic social media marketing through Facebook primarily. There was really no Instagram back then. Mm. Um, and I just realized, I thought, Fuck, like, this is how you sell on this platform. You tell story and you give value. And, and I think that, wow, there's a lot of organic ability here, uh, let alone even ads. I mean, ads were so new. And at the time we had, it was an old school business that we were trying to transform. Mm. And it was flipping hard because, you know, my dad was older. He didn't understand anything online. Didn't even have a website right? It's crazy. So we're like, well, we need to do this, this, and this. Cause we had telemarketers doing our, you know, connect calls into the, it was just old school. So I'm like, you know what, we just need to flip this and get people connecting to us or coming to us. And then being able to do the deals of that, having to jump in the car or on a plane and go, we need to bring them inbound. And that was really what forced me into the saying, well, look, let's try this Facebook thing. And I remember at the time it was really like scary because we're like, well, I had to let eight staff go like get rid of the overhead and the cost. And then we had to go into these Facebook ads and test and measure to bring in some leads. And it was just like do or die situation. <laughs> it was like, we, we couldn't stay doing what we we're doing. We would have died anyway. So it's like, well, we, we need to test and measure this and get going and take a risk. And we swung at it and we eventually we, we started working, um, you know, and that was it really. So I guess we didn't have a choice. I think, I think that's like a good point, right? It would like, we're going to die anyways. And I don't think that a lot of people, even in today's world, we have like so many transitions even happening now. It's like, you're going to die anyways. And there's been like this old saying that says you're on a road to zero. Yeah, you know? totally. And, and you kind yeah. of play that out during those times. I always like to see, you know, like what, what people's lives are kind of like. So during that time, because I think it's very relevant, right? So I sit here I say, oh, I live in San Diego. I say, like, the story of the market sounds good. You know, you're in Australia, you talk about living in Gold Coast and motorcycle and stuff. But I think one of the things I like to bring up a lot is, like, what was really going on with you during that time? Like, what was your life like? Like, it sounds pretty, but it, it usually isn't. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I still had to commute to the office every day for six days a week. I was working every Saturday. I was in that one. I mean, I would go out with clients in the morning at, say, 9 o'clock. And we would get back at five and I was driving in the car around with them trying to sell houses, talking for nine hours, like on a Saturday, like it, it was, but that's where you, the, the, the skills are forged in the fire, you know, like um, under pressure like that. And I guess for me, my lifestyle was okay. Cause I could manage money well enough that when I was getting paid these commissions, I wasn't crazy and going out and spending all the money on 
I actually ended up selling my Harley because the same thing happened to me. It was sitting in the garage, never used it. And so I started to get lean and minimalistic with my approach to living. And that allowed me to have some breathing room when I was making these commissions. I was doing all right, but I started to, to we, we, I mean, we live in a beautiful place, so we didn't have to go anywhere. But we would still do things like we would travel once or twice a year. We got married in Thailand, incidentally. That was not till later. But um, it was more just I was working six days a week and I was saving and I was investing. And I was just kind of repeated that process over and over again. And I was very stoic in my approach. Like I wasn't driven by my ego. I was steady. I just kept myself under control and disciplined. And I think that was really what helped me to accelerate my wealth a lot faster because a lot of my friends were making lumpy commissions. They're off spending the money, doing this, doing that, buying the clothes, buying. And I guess that's what my life was like. It wasn't boring, but it was very disciplined. And, and you know, I was trying to get ahead. One of the things I noticed is I, and I'm not sure, but it seems like you were you with the same girl at the time. Was that? with the same gal yeah yeah so yeah yeah yeah. better better bring in my wife so we met we met in dubai she's from there and when i repatriated back to australia she came back with me we came back together and i was with like yeah we were here for a couple of years and i i asked her to marry me which is amazing so i got you know saving my money helped because i could buy the engagement ring and then i went to we went to greece to a friend's wedding i proposed in santorini which is epic so i mean we had pretty good like that was pretty good to be able to do that right and then we ended up getting married in Thailand and in, uh, in, in 2017, um, just after I won my first bodybuilding comp. So I, it was, my life was good, but I was still hungry to make it more good. I think, um, I mean, you just brought up something and I think it's always, you know, kind of just relating. Like I said, I felt like I got in some weird doppelganger here with all these adventures that we've done. And I, it's kind of cool, <laughs> you know, but I end though, I think that, um, you said you did, I look back and you've done a bodybuilding competition and during that time, like 2015, 16, it looked like you were pretty involved in that. Um, yeah. As you were running your business, <clears throat> what was the split like? What was that split like? Because, yeah. you know, I talk with, I, I, I share a lot about like, it's very difficult if you want to be something in one thing, if you haven't yeah. created a, a real foundation over on the other side, this is yeah. you're going to be half-assed and to kind of bodybuilding competition or getting knocked out. Both of those don't really do well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because uh, your yeah. competition, the competition, yeah. it can get to you. What was your, what was your mentality on why you did it? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Why did you do it? And, and, and what was the outcomes of your business because you did that? Well, it's really good because what happened in 2014 was that I'd been in real estate game. It was fine, but I had capacity to do more in terms of create more income. And I started this little side hustle, uh, marketing supplements, right? And I was not even in good shape. I wasn't training at all. I wasn't a health dude. I was a property. I was a business dude. Um, I drank too much. <laughs> so uh, what happened was my, I got started uh, marketing these subs. I was like, wow, this is really good. And I started using it myself and, looking after my nutrition, I started getting in shape. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool to see what my 30-year-old body could really do here if I really went after it and, and, and started looking after myself properly? And if I can do that, I can start building a brand that would help my supplements business move. And so that's really the impetus, the motivator behind it. Uh, and so what it looked like was I had my property business five, six days a week. Then I had a little side hustle going on was marketing subs online. So the two things going on at once was kind of challenging. Then I had my relationship with my wife, my fiance at the time. And then I was going to win this bodybuilding comp. So I would work out in the morning uh, early before work. I'd work out, do compound exercises for an hour. Then I would eat certain foods throughout the day. Then I'd go back to the gym at 3 p.m. in the afternoon after work and, do that and then walk home. So I did that. That, that was... That was hard because I was doing three things and it was, I was squashing my capacity, but I was really focused and really structured. And I think that made a big difference. But the fact that I was going to go into this bodybuilding and win this thing, because I went in with the approach to win. It wasn't like to compete. I was going to win. Yeah. And I just, I just, yeah. And I just read Arnold Schwarzenegger's book, Total Recall. And it was like, wow, this is inspiring me to really like, 
you know, step it up here. So I did that. And what happened was when I won that, my first comp, our business, our supplements business really exploded and it went to six figures profit. You know, it was, it was a great brand building experience, but, it, you know, it was challenging. You pay, you get the most juice out of the things that challenge you the most. And I think it was, it was a great lesson in discipline. And so I think that um, one of the things that I try to tie into even move that we have here is like, if you can kind of be that person that, that if it's correlates with your marketing or correlates with all those things, if you really are that person, it, it, you're the one that actually they go, I want to be like, and that takes, totally. and it, it, that's a lot of pressure too. Right. I mean, that's leadership. That's like, not only um, if I, if I don't win, you know, what does that do to my brand now? And what, what yeah. was your mentality with that? Like, how, how did you handle that? Well, what, what was your like? <laughs> I mean, let's get real. Like, you gotta have. Yeah, a yeah, yeah. You gotta have a yeah. to do it. You gotta totally. have. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the things I've always done is I've always been okay. Like, I always approach something to do my best, mm-hmm. and that way, that if I end up not winning, it's like, well, I, I can't. Like, I, I did my best, and I'm okay with that. And I guess having that approach where I just put everything into it, there was nothing left on the table to worry about. Yes, it may have affected, you know, if I didn't win all this stuff, but. I always have been okay with that. And I think that allows me to compete at different things and be okay with losing because of my self-esteem is like, well, I did my flipping best, man. Like yeah. I, I'm a human being. That's all I can do. And I guess if you take that approach into it, you'll, you'll always never regret anything. And what happened was um, during the building of a business, you have people say stuff and there's not haters, you know, but they kind of almost secretly want to see you lose. And so um, I was just like in the gym, just, you know, it's for the, it's just for the, I, I was just going to beat this, this people saying I couldn't do it. I, that's all I get. It motivated me. And I remember going out on stage and I just like winning. It was just like, well, I showed you that I was going to do it and I did it. And I think that they may not even think they not, may not have even thought about that. They were haters or that they weren't, weren't believers in what I was doing, but that drove me. And I think that was a good lesson for me to, to take away, but doing your best, like if you just do that, like I went in there to flip and win. And if you take that approach in anything, you can't have any regrets if you don't win, you know, because you did your best. So I think that was a good lesson. I think I think that's a great lesson. And I think that it also is like, you only have what you have. And I think that it's like, you're at the end of the day, I mean, especially in, in your situation, the whole thing is a judge, right? Because you're, you're like, I'm building a brand. I'm going to attach myself to that brand. It's like, oh shit, I'm going to be judged on how I affect myself. And then just the concept of bodybuilding, you're getting judged. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean? yeah, literally. Like, yeah. You know, the whole yeah. thing is a judgment. And I think that um, when, you, when you have the ability, and I, I don't know what this is. I've always, um, I've tried to dissect this and maybe, maybe this conversation will go somewhere. But I think with a lot of people, it's like, why, why can't they get to that place where they don't care? And I've always thought like, many times it's because you, can't, you don't have enough volume in another like other good things that are happening with you that will allow one other thing to fail. Like when it's your only thing, it's like, dude, I, if this doesn't work, it's all I got. So it's like, it gets easier. It gets easier when you kind of start winning a little bit. Cause then you're like, I can, I can brush this off. You know what I mean? Like I I can brush that off, but it's not easy to brush it off when you're in those phases. Like, like how did that affect you? Like, what was that? Like, okay. I can repeat. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think, and David Goggins talks about this in his book about having the cookie jar where you have these wins that you stack up and anytime you need them for your next challenge, you can go and take it out and say, hang on a second. I did that. And I did that. And I did that. You know, I've got this and, and it, and it does nourish your hope that you're going to continue to win, but you got to start out small. I mean, I look back and uh, there was moments in my career where I was under a lot of pressure with, you know, even finishing degrees and stuff, that, that, that takes a bit of pressure. And I completed that. So I had these little, they weren't in health or fitness or bodybuilding, but I had these little wins. And one of the things I found too was that I had a real supportive team. And like, even my wife was like, yeah, I'm backing you. You've got this. You, and she was patient with me with my food. Because <laughs> when you're not eating sugar, you're not the best human being to be around. But <laughs> So she, yeah, so she was, she was supportive. And then I had a great trainer. He'd been through that. He'd done it. And um, he ended up coming to our wedding. Like, and I had the flexibility in my work and, my, my, and, and people around me there where it was, 
that they were supportive. And I guess they allowed me to focus. And I think that focus is one of the key things you need to be doing if you're going to win anything. But I guess uh, there was little wins along the way that allowed me to do that. Like, uh, like hitting a 150 bench press one day, a one RM was just like, wow, that was a, that's amazing. That I just did that. Right. I was like 80 kilos hitting 150 in bench. It was huge. And then doing all those things with my trainer and, and I guess it's those little wins stacked upon each other. Just so everybody one day, knows, that's 150 kilos. Yeah, yeah, that's 150 kilos. Yeah. <laughs> I got to take care of you, bro. I got to take care of you. Sorry, man. Yeah. You got my back. Yeah, it's like 300 yeah. pounds. Like, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's not uh, 150 pounds. Right? Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. And, uh, and so, look, it's just those little things that built up. And then one day I said, man, I think I want to compete. My trainer's like, okay, are you ready? I'm like, I don't know. And he, the year before I competed, we went to Thailand to check our wedding venue. And now I was into, I was lean. I was about 6% body fat when we got there. My comp was not far away. It was like a, six weeks away. And I was in flipping Thailand. What the hell am I doing? And my trainer came to Thailand too. And we trained in the gym. Yeah. We trained in the gym twice a day on the beach there in Phuket. And we just disciplined with my food and we just trained. And I reckon that was the edge. Did it for two solid weeks. And I reckon that just gave me a massive edge. Where are you? It was just breathing you, and eating it. Where were you at in Phuket? Do you remember the, where you were at? Uh, well, yeah, we were just at Bangla. Like there was a, like the end of Bangla Road on the main beach side. There's a gym, Max's gym. I don't know if it's still, I think they moved it, but uh, a buddy of my trainers owned I it. Fought, I fought in that stadium. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's epic, man. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Fire out, small world. Yeah, Insane. I know that. I know that area pretty well. Um, the end of Bangla, right there, all the way at the end. That's where you hit like the beach and everything like that. I'm, I got, yeah. I got my tickets there. That little loop yeah. right there. You get a, they give you a ticket when you make a right. And I go, yeah. oh shit, damn it. <laughs> yeah. It's a great spot. Well, it was a great spot. I haven't been there for so long, but I hope it's. Uh, yeah, it's been a little bit of uh, time for me. Um, yeah. So, so as you, as you parlay all this, um, one of the things I think is great, and this is something that I talk about with move. It's like the, the, the entrepreneur or one of my visions and goals for entrepreneurs is like stack these things that you're doing. Like you're an entrepreneur. You're not, you, you're not just someone who has to sit down and just burn your body out. You don't have to blow yourself out all the time. So how do we get you at like 20% baseline so you can start doing the things that you've always wanted and, the depletion of the entrepreneur happens so fast that the stress and say we just deplete in the next thing. So I think that what you what you did and what you're sharing is like, man, like I had this thing going, but when I did this, it also added energy to the other things that you're doing. And I think yes. it's not like as that has a lot to do with also character, right? I mean, it's kind of in yep. your blood, you know, you're a go-getter yep. anyways. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to go through and take, you already went right here, but I'm going to read something here. Right. And then I'm going to have you just kind of lay it all out. And I think it's pretty good. You're going to tell me how you did. It's been about five years. Don't cringe, bro. I got <laughs> your back, dude. I got your back. That's so good. Yeah. I got your yeah. back, dude. So this was back. It, I'm not going to write that one yet. I'm going to, I'm going to let you pause on that for a minute, but in 2014, it was December. And this is exactly what you said. And you can tell me maybe what it was. You remember, love this new service, getting involved by clicking below. You'll never take another blank after blank, cheaper, better service. No need to talk to an operator, rate the level of driver service and clean cars. Do you remember what that was? Oh my God. Uber. <laughs> Uber. What? It was 2014. And the reason I brought this up is because we're not that far from this world that we're living in. Yeah, that's true. You know, right. and, and when I saw that pop up on your feed, I was like, man, like this really tells me like 2014, I remember I was in San Clemente um, out here and I remember like someone was going, yeah, there's this company that's being funded by this thing it's called Uber and they're going to do it. And I'm like, what the heck? Yeah. You know, people are going to, people are going to be getting stabbed and raped and stolen. Like, you know, I just think yeah. of all these things, you know, it was such a shift. And I thought that I'd kind of just bring that up because it's like those paradigm shifts are changing so drastically. How have you yeah. found yourself? Because you're someone that's a driver, you get it through this massive changes because 
there's there's an undertow of things that I'm not getting into any of this right now, but metaverse, VR, this shit's gonna yeah. be real. Yeah. It, it's yeah. done, it's over, people don't recognize it. Going back and looking at Uber, what are your thought patterns on how you've learned how to position yourself in accepting these things? Because yeah. talking about your father earlier, in a great way, he lived in a different generation. It seems like you and I lived at that perfect split generation where it was like, we understand the old school and the new school. Yeah. But where for yourself, in our minds, as we get older, if you're 25, I mean, when you and I were, as we were younger and these transitions were basically happening, these were big shifts, but now they're happening so fast that the job that you might have is going to be, might be even obsolete in three years. So what's your mentality on people that they should, how, how they should handle that? That was really good question. I was talking to my wife about this the other day. Just, I said to her, I turned to her and I said, you know what? Things are going quick. Like I, I see the change, but I'm like, I want to stay up with it, but I'm like, how am I going to, how are we going to do this? Like you got to stay in front of it. Um, back in 2014 with Uber, I remember it wasn't even really in Australia that long. And I pulled the app up and I went to say to my dad, I said, look, we've got to get an Uber. He's like, what, Uber? And it wouldn't come because there was not enough cars back then. But he said, let's get a taxi. Yeah, like, all right, fine. And it didn't really build him with a lot of belief. But eventually when he got it, he was like, oh, man, I got this Uber driver and that Uber driver. He just really adopted it. He's a good adopter when he sees it. But, um, I mean, I thought that was – there's been some great innovations in the last, you know, 10 years and so on with social media has been fantastic and so is Uber and, and sharing and Airbnb. These are all great. Now, it, the metaverse conversation and the VR, like I, tr- I tried my first VR set just the other day. Uh, I just got and, that one coming this next couple of weeks. Yeah, there you I go. Mean, just and, because I have to. Yeah, well, I'm open. Like my, my friend has one. I'm like, well, let me try it. I tried it. And I'm like, okay. I mean, you can see that. You can see the trend and the change because there was a moment where we were, you know, 10% online on MSN. Remember MSN? It was like you were online for 10% of your time of the day. You come home from school, birth an hour, and you're done. But eventually it's gone 50-50. So we're kind of 50% on our phones, 50% not, or maybe more on our phones, right? 80 hours a day, maybe. And so we're like, like with VR and the metaverse, it could shift to 90-10, where we're 10% in the real world and 90% online. And I think just seeing this happen, there's going to be, people's lives are going to be more valuable to them online than in their real life because of the polarity of wealth and the change in the wealth structure and their, their whole background and that, you know, so um, you have to adopt with it. How I'm going to do how we're going to do that in our businesses, in our lives for our future children. I don't know, but one thing I've learned over the past few years is that just being abreast of it and being involved in it a bit, is enough so that you can spot opportunities. Because if you're not like buying your VR headset and you're not looking at the metaverse and you're not understanding it, it can shoot past you very quickly. And that's what happened to my dad, I think. He just let everything go past him. Now he's up to speed for the younger generation, but you can't let it go past you. You know, you have to be up to speed. Yeah, so I, I got that same thing coming and I just, I'm not really a big gamer. I never will. I mean, yeah, I'll have plays some games, plays some fighting games, things like that. But I really wasn't like a gamer in a sense where, dude, they, yeah, it, yeah. those gamers are going to become more valuable than anybody. Yeah. You know? And yeah. I just went and bought, I was like, I was like, okay, I got to get a game that's going to kind of give me some. So I started studying. I was like, okay, it's Cyberpunk, Cyberpunk 2077. And it's just this game and you go in, it's like, it's all, it's, you know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, okay. uh, yeah, and I'm like playing. It's like giving you value. It tells you who you are. And I said, but this is it. Yeah, this yeah. is it. It might not be the whole thing, but this is it. And so what I'm trying to do is go. I'm not trying to like play, trying to play the game. I'm trying to understand the, the concept. I'm trying to understand the feeling. I'm trying to understand the touch and things like that. And you know, you know the sense of like the value of touching something enough times you start becoming aware of it. And if you're, you're a performer and I did this in fighting many times and I'm I'm sure that you, you understand this concept, but it's like, you understand this concept about uh, speaking in front of people. It's like, if you can go get on the stage the night before the event, if you can go up there and act out your performance with no one there, 
you start eliminating all these little fears that you wouldn't have been aware of. And then all of a sudden you only have like six fears to get over instead of four. Yeah. Totally. I mean, and I think that that's what I think you're saying. It's like, just jump in, play a little bit, put the VR touch it, feel it. And then you're just like, remove these little weirdnesses about it. And by the time yeah. everybody else does it, you can kind of jump through it. So yeah. Yeah. You can also thing. have, you, you can also have conversations with people about, it. I mean, if you, if you're not up to speed with certain things, you can't really have conversations with the next generation. You can't really relate. You can't, they think, I mean, what's weird about what I'm going through now. I don't know if it's a midlife thing, but on Instagram, people are calling me boomer. I'm like, dude, I'm a flipper millennial. I'm like a millennial sage. I'm like an elder millennial, but they call me boomer. I'm like, what? You little punks. Like, I'm like, man, I'm older now. And so like these 20 year olds are like, you know, tell them yeah, they're, they're so confident. And I was like, all right, was I like that? And I guess it's weird. <laughs> yeah, I would say so. There's a weird thing happening now where I'm like, well, I need to be able to learn from them, the younger people, and just as much as they need to learn from us. And so I guess that's the process of this next step of the metaverse. I, I'm open to learning. Uh, about it I think that's important and I think that like something I think can humble all of us and this is like something I think everybody should hear and I got maybe I'm just telling myself and then hopefully you guys you guys like it too but it's like <laughs> when there's so many new things that are happening so quickly that means that everybody starts at zero yeah indeed and you could be you know I've been having discussions with friends and things I said you know what the awesome thing about this whole thing is like because the the internet and all these things are happening you, from like 20 to 30, you would have this like type of way that you would live. And then you would shift kind of the way you lived in your thirties. And then you would act a certain way in your forties. And then you would start saying, okay, the old stuff I knew I'm a, a dog with no, with uh, you can't teach a dog old tricks, you know, the whole story, new tricks or whatever. So in that whole thing, I don't, I don't think that that's being relevant anymore because you, you can, dude, you could be 70 years old, get on here create a yep. narrative and pull yep. 25, 55 year olds paying you 50 grand a year to help. Yeah. Like, yeah. Totally. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I've often thought about that concept where like you could have an event just for, to show people how to use their phone at that age. I mean, there's so many, and that's just a, that's a real common technology, but still people struggle with it. So if you go into this whole VR world or the metaverse world or whatever, you can carve out your whole niche in a whole new universe with a whole new array of products to a whole generation who's brand new to it. I mean, you can really, you only got to be like the old saying, if you're getting chased, you know, there's two of you and you're getting chased by a line, you don't need to be faster than the line. You just got to be faster than the guy next to you. You know, and I think that's, that's true in this, in this day and age, you just have to know 10% more. And I think it gives you a massive advantage. I mean, that's the formula of a consultant, right? I just know one thing more than you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And charge, yeah, hundred thousand consulting. A hundred grand yeah. consulting because I know one yeah. thing more than you, and then that—that yeah. that is what it is. It's just a piece totally. of the puzzle yeah. that people are trying to figure out. All right, so we delayed time long enough. You ready? I'm gonna go yeah. ahead and break this one out. It's a little bit long. It's great. It's your own words, dude. It's all good. This time last year, I doubled. I double tapped on Instagram that 2016 was going to be the biggest year ever. Just how big it was going to be, I had no idea. I felt like. Throughout the year, we had a Midas touch that everything we set out to do came to fruition plus more, but it was luck or was it putting the law of attraction into practice? Great line. At the beginning of the year, Alicia, got that right? And I set out 10 personal goals each and 10 joint goals for our new home-based business. We had never actually written out goals down before, so we knew, uh, so this was new for us. For those who have been to our house, you'll see these goals stuck to us to the back of the front door. Every day of 2016, we would see these goals and we left home the other day. Every day subconsciously, we knew they were there to be be ticked off one by one. Somewhere, some lofty, some more easy than we thought. All of them had the result of making us better people. We had a map to progress and we went about it day by day. Now, here's the part that I wanted to go into. That's, uh, that was great. You laid out a map. You saw that there was some subconscious there. Super stoked because if we could talk about conscious, subconscious, that's a great conversation as well. But here's kind of the things that you did. And this is what I'm curious about. That, this was 2017. And this was actually written 
in Nathambori, which is, I don't know if that's where he got married, but that was written in Thailand. And he said, complete. So these are the things that you wrote out. And this is what I was interested in is because I think when people write things out, this is fascinating. It said, complete a sprint triathlon, win INBA fitness competition, secure permanent residency, earn all expenses paid to Ulura. I don't know what that is, Jamaica. Ooh, I don't know what that is. Speak on stage together in front of 500 people, win a Toastmasters competition category. I've done Toastmasters. Uh, resign your nine to five jobs, start 100 members, six figure residual income, qualified master trainer, pay for destination wedding in full, travel to Singapore for golf, attend Las Vegas celebration with our team, fly to Phuket for our wedding plan. I know you knocked that one off. Fly to New Zealand with our team, just to name a few. So, what I was interested in is as we have this list here, what did that do for you? It was written down. It was put out in front of everybody. You put it out into the universe. What happened on those? Oh my God. This is so cool that you just read that out. I've, it's been so, what, five, four years since, since I wrote that. Uh, we called that our magic goals board, actually. It just was like magic. <clears throat> now, there was 10 things, I think, main things. But I thought, as you read that, I'm like, oh my God, I was flipping busy. <laughs> All that travel going on, I'm like, wow, yeah, like, I was like a baller. Uh, when I was reading it out, you're like, I really like that guy. I was like, that guy's fucking big. He's gone to go places. Be that be that <laughs> but isn't that what goals yeah. are about? That's what it's about. It's yeah. Like, yeah. Right? So, so dissecting those, hopefully those were all good things. But ultimately, I think that, you know, looking at those, how many of those things did you, were you able to kind of knock off? Honestly, we did all of them. We did all of them. Yeah, <laughs> I light up the stogie. We did all of that. It's not to like we actually did all that. I, I remember ticking him off on the back door, and I just it was like we had the Midas touch because even when things looked like they weren't going to head that way, something would change and it would just bring it to life. Um, you know, I mean, it really shouldn't have been in Phuket if I was training for a body. Like it was just, it was. Um, yeah, I, I think back then too, I was too, I was so focused on living this big life that I probably were doing too many things at once. Um, but there was goals within that that I knew were going to grow me. Like the Toastmasters thing was a growth thing and it prepared us for the 500 person speak on stage process. So there's goals in there that needed to kind of be ticked off or put in there to be able to achieve the other ones as well. Um but I guess that subconscious thing of putting them on the front door was like, well, front of mind becomes back of mind. Like it, it becomes part of you. So people don't realize that if you look at something each day, you then leave with a feeling that puts you into action to achieve it. And we were very accountable to it. And whether those things were going to help us achieve the bigger goals of financial independence, I'm not sure. But I tell you what, it was really cool to live a good life. Like it, it just shows me how much travel was going on before COVID. Like far out, how much travel goals are on this? So I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I mean, I couldn't put those goals together now, probably. Uh -huh. So it'll be very challenging. So I think it's it's just a good like image from the past. Like wow, that's the type of life we could live, and that's what we did. Uh, this is even before we were successful, so to speak, in any of our businesses. And I was like, man, you're living a pretty good life. Like it's like a slap in the face. Like Dude, get your shit together. <laughs> you can go and do that again. I guess yeah. COVID really just changes things. You know, it's changed everything. I think going back and looking at those things, I think it's like I'm not, I'm not being the, the card of humble to you, but you seem like a pretty cool dude. I can kind of say it, but it's like looking back, what you just said is like, I think when people watch this podcast, it's like, oh, that looks all this. It's like, I don't think it's true. I, I don't. I, I don't believe for a second that when you wrote all those out, that you were like, "It's gonna happen," and I'm the guy, and I do this shit, and that's how it happens. And I think that that's what I think through that should be translated. Like, yeah, that just because you wrote it out and got done, you did. It wasn't done. <laughs> you know, it, you it came together. It. Yeah, it. It wasn't done. It was it, that that whole year was a pathway to where we are now. So people say, "Well, how do you get what you have now?" I'm like, "Well." Back in 2016, I did a buy. Back in 2017, I did this. It's a compound effect. You know, the compound effect is powerful, not just in money, but it's also very powerful in your, your life, where if you have these wins and write goals and achieve them, you see fruit of that four, five, six, seven, 10 years later, 20 years later, right? 
And so um, it, it obviously to, to, to unpack that a bit more for people so they understand what, what we went through to do that is when you set a goal of I want to become a Toastmasters like competition champion for the district or whatever, we went every Wednesday. We didn't miss a meeting. And we prepared speeches at the nighttime, went there, got in front of the crowd, nervous, and, and rattled off our speech. And we're very awkward at that and very new. And so the nervousness we got used to and just doing that to a crowd of 30 helped us for that crowd of 500. Now, that particular speech of 500, I remember being outside the amphitheater with my wife on the steps for three hours practicing before that came on. And we were muddling up our words. We were getting irate with each other because we we're like, yeah, it's good to do this. And that, I think if you peel back those goals, there's elements of a lot of practice, a lot of awkwardness, a lot of like embarrassment, humiliation. That is so part of it that I think people don't see and get. But that's how we had to achieve those goals. Just like when you go fighting, you know, like I, you, you being a fighter, you like you would know better than anyone. Like you have to go through and get punched in the face a lot. Like that's the only way you learn. Like oh, I could have kept my left up there. I should have. And it's the same with with anything. You got to take the punches. Um, and that's what we did to get those goals. It wasn't pretty. It just looks pretty now when you read them out. It's like yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, you made a really good point. And it's like you know, even in my life, I remember I, I started playing guitar. You know, late late at night in life. And I was fortunate my dad played and things like that, but I didn't play at all. And I was like, I just didn't, I, I didn't, in my twenties, like having me sit down and go, boom, boom, that ain't gonna happen. <laughs> I was drinking the piss and, you know, I just, the whole thing, you know what I mean? There was no way you're going to get me off the bottle to go do that. It just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So ultimately when you kind of, when you explain that, it really shares like humility is okay. Like I can't tell you. And if any of my friends are watching, they're like, yeah, Jason's a little weird sometimes. It's like, because I want to try new things. And, and you know, I, I know that I'm going to look like an idiot. And I know, but I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And because I know that if I like commit, that there's going to come a day that I'm actually going to do it. I did this with guitar. And it was like, I sound horrible, horrible. My, my friends <laughs> laughing, laughing. And now like I play blues, I play all those things. So it's not always about them, right? It's not, a, it's not like, the victory is really yours. Like all of those things at the end of the day, we rattle them off. You forgot about a few of them, I'm sure. And you know, they're yep. over with and things like that. But like you, you, those are like, you can hold those for the rest of your life. Like you can't. Yeah. And, and I think that what you just said is something I try to share with people all the time. I'm like do it now. Like when you, we were about kind of the same age when, when you were doing those things, I was fighting at the same time. And I was like, I remember asking my uncle, I was like, should I do this shit? Like, I don't know. Like I, and he's like, dude, do it. I went, I'm never going to have this body again. This is no, the youngest right. my body's going to be. It's the youngest going to, I don't care. Well, I give all respect to people. I saw this thing with uh, Will Smith. He went to Dubai. Did you see that? And went on that big old thing. And he makes a statement. And he, yes. he literally says, he's like, I'm in the best shape of my life. I feel better than my 20s. I'm like, okay, stop lying, bro. No, you don't. Like you're 20. Like you don't, you don't recover like that. You don't know. <laughs> you feel good. But if you say that you're 50, then let's just get practical. You should do that right now at 50, right? Because yeah. you're not going to feel like that at 55. So I think that your story tells that story. And I think that I really wanted to bring that out for people about you. I think that that's super yeah. valuable, man. So yeah. how, did, um, how did this make this transition? So from what I'm gathering through these conversations, there were some foundational things that were happening during those times. I, I figured out the internet and I kind of reversed some things. How do I attract them towards me? Like game on for those people that don't listen to that kind of stuff. Bangers right there. How do I transition into saying, Hey, I'm going to start bodybuilding. How did that happen? Okay. Now you stack these things. Then there came another transition in your life where you decided I'm going to start something else. And that kind of moves us a little closer into today. And you decided to do this thing about side hustle and, you know, when I hear side hustle, who, who's the one that owns the side hustle game? Gary V, man. The guy in the world is like, hey, do garage doors. You know, one of the questions that I was curious before I went into that was that there's a, there's a few things that people talk about when it comes to hustle. And one is it's, it's a little sleazy, right? I'm in the hustle. The other one is this grind that like you, you just kill yourself. 
Maybe you can explain to me more of what I think that people want to understand what a side hustle is and that maybe that word has maybe changed over the years. Yeah, definitely changed. I, oh, Gary V made it popular, that's for sure. You know, like if you think of hustle, he owns that brand of that word. That's what I was saying. Man. Yeah. It, in Australia, there's this, you know, the term side hustles where you, you've got your job and on the side, you're doing something else to earn some extra cash. And uh, it's been popular here. I mean, when I was a kid, it was like mowing lawns was the side hustle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think it's changed in terms of what we wanted to achieve, which was more money, right? And so when we started our side hustle here, it was like marketing the supplements was on the side because I was working full-time in property. And uh, I was wanting to get ahead because I knew if I could make an extra 500 bucks a week, that would translate to a lot of money compounded if I invested it appropriately. <clears throat> so that was what I was after. I was after freedom. That was the real goal. I just want independence, freedom to do what I want when I want. That was really my driver. And um, the hustle part comes with like, you know, when you've got a product, you have to hustle. Yeah, there, there has to be a level of hustle or energy that you've got to drive with that. So like you've got to, you've got to, doing, you've got to be doing your, you've got to sit down and cover out your avatar. Then you've got to do your, some, you've got to learn how to write copy. Then you've got to do some posts. Then you've got to go and meet. I mean, when we first started, we were doing little meetings with people and they were like bringing their friends and they were like trying some of our products and then they were buying them. And that took, we, we jumped in the car after work at six, drove to Dolby, which is three hours away, did one of these and drove home. That's the type of hustle I guess I'm talking about when it's like, you have to hustle to build your business, build your brand, see your customers, get them to buy, rebuy, you know, set up your systems, get your marketing going, write copy, outsource and get your VA. Like you've got to do all this stuff and it takes energy, effort, thoughtfulness you know in the shower you got to think what am i going to do today that's the hustle that i think um is required to be able to make extra money like this and i guess grit, people don't it's just understand grit, that. isn't it it's just pure. yeah it's grit it's um it's like uh it's a business adventure like mm. it's getting in the car and going to this place and going to this event and and talking to this person and doing a facebook live and then doing a zoom call and getting custom it, that that's business and it takes a hustle. And a lot of people that fail at business, because I teach a lot of people business, and the one thing they lack is hustle. And what I mean by that is my dad taught me, he said, we, you get a deal and you go and you finish the deal. And then you, you, you hustle to get the contract signed. And then you hustle to take it to the legal office. Then you hustle. To, it's a moving thing. It's not like you can't, you can't just sit idle and expect to make a success of anything. And the hustle I want to bring, you know, the the brand I want to bring to that word is concurrent proactive activity without rest. Just when you're launching, right? When you're launching, when you're launching, and then you can obviously pair back and and rest your your body, and you you have to go through rest periods. But I don't think people underestimate the real energy and power that a launching process takes, and they just never make it because there's no hustle in them. I think. I think. Dude, that nails it so much. And I think that like when we when you talk to people, it's like sometimes you just don't get any, you get nothing back. I think yeah. that, that is the hard thing to tell people. You're like, dude, I oh, I'm not getting anything. I'm not, there's no result, there's nothing. I'm messing this up. Okay, did you get back up and keep going? Yeah, okay, you'll get there. Well, what do you mean? Yeah. No, I'll get and I think that like even for myself you know, when I take on a new venture or something like that, man, I'm just like, dude, is this thing going to work? Is this thing work? And then I think you said it perfect. You, you doubled down on Goggins as I go back and I go, well, you know what? I'm not that person. No, that's not true. My mind's telling me like, it ain't going to work this time. It's not, I go, no, that's not true. Like it worked every single time you went to bodybuilding. It worked every single time you decided to do Facebook stuff. It worked every single time. So I think that like, one thing about your personality and the thing that I think, like I said, is kind of a dogger finger in a way was like, I think that we both kind of have this sense that is ugly, but it's like, man, I just keep going, man. Like, and I keep going and I keep going. And I think that it tells people that like, when they're going, like the other person's doing the same. And I think that there's this marketing sometimes messes that up. Yeah, definitely. Totally but, does. Um, have you have you read uh, Alex Hermosi's uh, hundred million dollar offer book? Love it. What a fantastic book, right? So in my company right now, what we're doing as a team is I'm literally taking it. I'm taking the audio 
and we're and I've gone through it and stuff, and we're reading it together. And I'm like, slow down, guys, slow down. This because if if even if I understand fundamentals, it's like, dude, does our team understand this really, really well? And it's sick. And it's I'm sitting here, you know, we're all sitting, and we just kind of did it this morning again. And it's like, this is the grit, man. This is the like, this is the part that nobody sees. This is the part that nobody knows, but I'm I'm doing the work and, and we put it in. And so I think that you're a great testament to that. So this business that you do, let's talk about the fundamentals of what the outcome is, is of this business that you're running now. So the fundamentals of what I do? Yeah. Like day by day stuff. Well, um, it's a bit of a different, that the supplements business is a bit different now because we have like 12,000 customers globally and we have, we have distributorships in place in different countries and we have a system that's quite largely automated and now with a VA, like it's quite systemized. And I, I remember, you know, you talking about list, reading Alec or listening to Alex's book, like a few years back when we were in the hustle of building our business, we were doing a lot of the activity ourselves. We were, we were, you know, um, doing the sales calls ourselves, doing just doing so much stuff. And I, re- I listened to this Tim Ferriss podcast with Gary V once and Tim Ferriss, listen, this is how you scale. And he talked about two books. One is The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. I read, talks it, about I read system. it 15 years ago. Amazing. I was like, and then the other one was built to sell. So you approach your business in a way where you build it, that it's saleable, which means yeah. it's got systems. And I think that that really shifted us to be able to automate a lot of our supplements business. We still do branding things. Like I still organically post and advertise certain things and attract for the business. I run a masterclass once a week to bring in distributors and we do team retreats and I do, I do large events for the company as well. So it, that, that's still happening, but I don't spend a drastic amount of time on it now because it's systemized, um, but it's still in front of my mind. And so I guess what that looks like now is it's just keeping our finger on the pulse. So like we do monthly huddles with the team, we do weekly calls, we do the weekly masterclass. That's the, the contact hours I have. And then in between things, I'm just chatting to the really influential people within our team just to make sure they're okay. Like, are you good? Do you need anything? A bit of servant leadership, like what do you need? And I guess that's where we're at with that business. And and it produces a good income for us um, that allows us to have this level of freedom. But what's happened recently is because that's so systemized and it's become more like a side hustle again in itself, like this doesn't need a lot of contact hours. I was kind of getting itchy. I was like, what else can I build? And that's what kind of transitioned me to write my two books and build my podcast and go and start this financial coaching business, which is now like back to square one of how do I systemize a sucker? But I think if, if I'm going to answer your question about what do the fundamentals look like, it's like, well, I get up at six every day, right? And I go to the gym and work out, come home. And then it's like, it's pretty much what, a, what message am I sending to my followers on Instagram and, and Facebook? What value am I giving them? What conversations am I having? How are the book sales going? How's the, you know, what podcast episodes do I need to record? Um, you know, doing that. What lives am I doing? When's the next team thing? It's just, it's so much stuff that we're doing, but like I structure it every day to say, what are the six most important things I need to do today? And I just don't think that's ever really changed. It's just that the, the value of my task has gone up, you know, and I think that um, I'm still doing the same things that I was in 2016. And I, or 15. And I feel like I said, I, I teach this when I talk on stage. I said, listen, we became millionaires in 2015. They go, what do you mean? I'm like, our, my mindset and my activity levels and my focus and the things I do hasn't flipped and changed in six years. It's just that the money's now caught up <laughs> mm. to that, to those, to those fundamentals, you know? So, you know, it's, it's doing lots of stuff. I think, I don't think there's a real poetic way to do business or a clean way. It's flipping messy still. I think that's a really good point. I think that, you know, you just laid out, it's like people don't realize every business is messed up. I mean, it's, it's, it really is. I mean, if you've ever tried to do customer service with Microsoft and they're on, you know, they're they're a massive company you try to do this, they're all jacked up. You're screaming, (laughs) you're flipping them off, you're throwing them off. You know what I mean? Like, and this is the company that basically has the ability to have everything systematized to to the T and you're not happy. So, you know, I think that there's a little bit of leniency, you know, there's a little leniency that I think we have to give ourselves that the comparison to the company like a Microsoft or something like that, they're kind of jacked up too. I mean, 
your our country especially is in massive debt. If you're in massive debt, well, so is your country too. Those are like everything. So you can kind of let something off of your chest. Like, hey, you know what? Yeah. None of these people have it all perfect. Like, and I think that there's like a big piece to that. Um, now I, I noticed one more thing, and that was that you were, you were working with millennials. Mm. And what what is your aspect on that now? What's your thought patterns on on how you want to impact them, and what's your thoughts? Well, there's a I, I throughout my journey, like I, I, people, you know, they they know me as someone who can help them start a side hustle, or I'm doing that, or I'm investing and so forth. But I've really since I niched down, even for both businesses into this money category it's really allowed me to kind of focus in that area and give people value in that area where they just never had any and i kept hearing all the time throughout my building our business and talking to colleagues and other people doing it they had an ability to make money but none of them kept it they didn't know how to grow it and they would kind of like getting rich and then like losing everything i was like what the heck like what are you doing you don't want to get rich it's hard enough to get rich once you don't know you lose your freedom i guess when i say get rich i mean build freedom right from the nine to five. So I, I kind of figured out, wow, these people really need help here in this area. The, the, you know, the people I'm talking to. So I niched down to money and I wrote this book, Money Grows on Trees last year during COVID. And the podcast is the same name. And I've started to really impact the millennial generation primarily into being able to invest and learn about money without having to be heavily indebted in property. Because my parents' generation the way you got wealthy back then was you bought property and you could buy it. Like flip it. Like my old man was making 50 grand a year. He could buy a property for 50,000. Like it was a joke because interest rates were all time high. Debt wasn't so cheap. No one really wanted to buy. And it was just like, okay. So that was how they got wealthy. Now coming up as a millennial after the GFC, which is really still like singed my brain as to how that actually affected the world. And I'm like, wow, we really can't expect millennials and even zennials and whoever else to be just going out and buying property. And if anything, it can actually derail them because there's so much debt load that's just going to be chucked on them. And then you have no options, right? Then you're boxed in and then you can't be an entrepreneur, right? So I'm like, well, how do I help them? And I have this the part of my story before 2010, or back that time, I did my CFA chart. I was studying at nighttime while I was working full time. I was always doing something on the side. This happened to be study, happened to be finance because I want to get into investment banking. Never happened, but... I was like, am I ever going to use this like information? Turns out 10, 10, 11 years later, I'm like, wow, people don't know as much about investing as money as what I thought and what I do. So all of this knowledge I have, I'm now imparting to the millennials saying, listen, if you can start a side hustle and I'll show you how to do that and you can make an extra 500 bucks a week in 18 years, you'll have a million dollar nest egg. You don't need to worry so much about property. You can put it away into an index fund and just keep adding to it. And over time, you'll have some sort of passive income and you'll be okay but they don't know how to do that. And that is the type of value I'm giving to millennials now. I'm like, listen, I can teach you how to build a business. I can also teach you the money part of it so you don't have to get rich twice. And that's where I feel like I'm having the most impact. Well, that's incredible. It's just basically like, here's you basically take a money and say, look, here's the fundamentals to get you there. And then what I'm yeah. going to do is I'm going to say, look, this is what you do. And I think that it's like, it reminded me right away of like a sports guy. He's like, hey, yeah. I made all my money in sports. I was a basketball yep. player, a rugby player, whatever it was. See how I yep. switched that for you? So basically, yeah, nice. uh, <laughs> so basically, uh, ultimately, when you make that transition, it's like, okay, this sports figure. I think there was a guy I just kind of brought my attention with. There was a basketball player, maybe it was a football player, and he never cashed. He never um, he never took one of his salary. You know what I'm talking about? No. I remember yeah. his name yeah. off the top of my head? But he never... He, he took all of his salary, took all of his money, and he just basically took like interest or something like that. And he just yeah. he basically figured it out and just threw all his checks. And like he lived it, I think he was living in like this small tree. Like I think it was just a crazy story. And then you look yeah. back and you're like, dang, man, that guy, you know, he had it. So I don't know. There, I kind of got a school of thought of both, right? It's like you got to add the stories too. You know, you don't want to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, man. I mean, well, I will say this. So like I recently did two boxing fights. First one was last year. Second one was this year. And I never really had a boxing fight. I had this first amateur fight and that didn't cost much, but what a memory. I mean, that's one of the, like, 
most courageous things I've done. Like that is really hard to do. It takes a lot of courage, as you know, more than more than anyone. And I was just boxing. You're muay, you're muay Thai, which is like even worse. Getting kicked in the neck sucks. And so it it that didn't cost much. I, I think that in, in running a hundred kilometers ultra marathon last year that we did, that didn't cost that much either. But and I, I think that you can still have those adventures without breaking the bank. You know, like there's a lot of things that you can do without you having to go fund it. Like, you know, you have to do adventures. Can't just be all about money. Otherwise you have no good stories to tell your grandkids. I I think that you nailed it, dude. I think that that's like such a good statement. It's like these things that you think that are adventures that are going to cost you something, like get involved, cost you much. They don't really cost you much. And not only that, I'm going to tag off what you did. It adds to your brand. 100%. Of course. How can you coach people or teach people or inspire people if you haven't done anything that's inspirational? That's what I think, you know, and I think of, yeah, and this look back on my life and I think, fire, you've done a lot of stuff that scared you. And that is all the inspiration I need to give to people. I don't need to be Arnold or The Rock. I mean, those guys are at a different level. Um, I could, you know, everything's possible, but in your micro, in, in your in your circle, your own influential circle, you can inspire people with just the most basic things that frighten them. Public speaking, jumping out of planes and off things that are fearful and heights and getting punched in the face in a ring or running a long time, like painful, fearful things. If you do them and show people, you inspire them. And I think that's part of the journey of building wealth because it allows me to do those things more often, which is what I love. And I think just because you did that, and I think I'll ask you this question is that, and even for me, like fighting Muay Thai and going out and doing those things, stuff like that, I realized it wasn't about the fight. And he said, what do you mean? You want to go fight? I said, no, you know what it really was? I recognized that I wasn't going out to be some champion. I learned two things fighting. One is I could kick a lot more people's ass than I thought. Didn't you learn that? But you yeah. know what else you learn? <laughs> There's a hell of a lot more people kick my ass than I thought too. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 <laughs> so you yeah. kind of get like this level card, right? But when I, when, and I think that you'll, you'll love this part about it. It's like, it, it wasn't about that. You get, when you go do those things, you get placed into another little category of people. Yeah. So it's like, maybe, maybe you didn't go and you were to win the championship boxing and things like that, or maybe you didn't do this, but you know what category you do go into crossing the ropes. Yes. And, and those ropes with us, with people around that, I mean, yeah, you know, it's just the whole thing. And I think that, 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 is what you know i've had people they say what do you, you think you're something man i ain't shit what i was somebody is passing those ropes and that's the thing i think yeah. that people and i think you really do like lay that out like you're another person that says look you pass the ropes and like yeah. i think that's just that's awesome pass those ropes i love that saying pass the ropes that's so good because when you're going and stepping through the ropes that one moment it, like and david goggins i think it says this he says um life begins on the life begins on the wire the rest of your time is just waiting around life really begins as you pass through the ropes you're in the grip of life this is that 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 event horizon where you just like shit like i i, I mean statistically not but i could die like it is it, that fearness going on you like if you jump off a bungee or out of a plane or you cross the ropes or you walk on stage there's a feeling of impeding doom and if you can have those what I call oh shit moments, like oh shit, like that that's really when you're most alive. And I guess a lot of people, like you said, don't do that. If you do those things, you do form or join a club. And I love that pass the ropes. What a cool club to be part of. I was proud of that that myself. It is, that. Man, you, know that, you know what category it puts you in? Like at the end of the, you know what it puts you in? You're in the category of understanding a portion of Mike Tyson. Yes. That's cool. Isn't that cool? Like yeah. you, you're like, man, you know what? I separated myself. I'm a little bit closer to what maybe I it like yeah. if I saw Mike Tyson and then I had that conversation with him, like at least he would know. Like there's a he even a guy like that would be like, I, I respect it because I know yep. what it's like. And if you ever listen to his statement, when I did you ever have you ever heard that line that he says he's walking down the line and, and the closer I get to the ring, he's like, I'm terrified. I feel like he's going to kill me. You'll have to go find this. Maybe I'll send it to you later. He says, I yeah. think he's going to kill yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm going to die. And the closer I get to the ring, my fears get stronger. 
But when I get into the, when I get into the ropes, I'm scared. Then when I open it up and I look at them, I feel like God. Oh my God. I just got the chills, right? And And he laid it out perfectly. And that was what? I rode, I'm scared. He just laid, I'm scared, I'm scared and scared. All of the fears I ever had in my life are getting there. I don't know how I'm going to do it. He gets through the rope. I feel like a God. And that I think is like, and, and you know that happens in everything. Yeah. Yep. It does. The walk from the dressing room into the ring is large. I remember the walk from the backstage to the front of the stage when I was first talking in front of 5,000 people, like boom, boom. I felt like that walk was quite similar. And even the walk out to the plank in this little thing in New Zealand is like the third highest bungee in the world. It's like 130 meters. It's flipping off. And I remember walking to the plank from the chair and these little walks, <laughs> the walk, I think how vivid that, like, that's where the growth happens in facing your fears and having just an ounce of courage to do that. I think that's really what I'm most proud yeah, of. I got that in skydiving too, man. I skydived 10 Totally. Times. Yeah, the walk. Yeah, the walk on the on the tarmac to the plane is like, oh my god, I'm doing this now. I can't it's get back. So against, it's so against any of our abilities to do anything. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. dude, this has been an incredible time. I think that uh, I've had a great time. We've got some great stories, and I think that you brought a lot of value. And I think that one thing I want people to hear on this podcast is like, we're here, we're talking about business, but every story that you told was the exact feeling that people have in business. And I think that that's one of the reasons you're attached to business is because it's the exact same feeling of the adrenaline rush, you know, to get the sale, the adrenaline rush to figure it out, the adrenaline rush to pass the ropes. And so Lloyd Ross, I appreciate your time here. How do they find you, man? How do they find you? Man, uh, Jace, I just want to say thanks for having me on. It's been awesome. I really enjoyed it. I don't know where the time's gone. I've just had so much fun. So thanks for uh, thanks for the amazing questions. And they can find me on Instagram if you go Lloyd James Ross. There's two L's. The second one is silent. Lloyd James Ross. You can go there, Instagram. And uh, help, send me a DM. And uh, yeah, stay in contact with me. Good deal. Whoever's going to enjoy this podcast. So from the Moved Entrepreneur Podcast, thank you very much. Get on it. If you like this episode, make sure you smash the like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Just like Nike is to athletes, Moved is to entrepreneurs.